and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello everybody, Friday, June the 2nd, 2023. Just done a show with my old friend Keith Tier. That was the week in tech, which we do on a regular basis on Keen On. Uh, he was asking this week, um, in anticipation of the Apple release of their virtual reality headset next week, whether this is going to be the year of the mask. Keith was a bit more ambivalent, uh, but the real truth is that this year, 2023, is the year of AI. We talked with Keith on uh, JP Morgan developing a chat GPT-like AI service that gives investment advice, the $20 billion that's being invested in the AI hype. Everything in Silicon Valley in particular, where I am, seems to be being built around AI. Uh, and even earlier today, I did a show with Stephen Games, a UK-based uh, publishing entrepreneur who uh, who talked to me about the impact of AI on writing and on professional publishing. Um, the impact of AI on uh, creativity, of course, is an, an enormously important issue, and it's one that we're going to address today with my guest, Jordan Crandall. He has a new uh, book out, Autodrive, uh, a book about, at least in his language, um, uh, a literary, and I'm quoting the description from MIT Press, a literary odyssey along the highways at a time when a new form of superintelligence has emerged. I'm assuming that that superintelligence is a kind of AI. Uh, Jordan is joining us from Los Angeles. His day job is as a professor in the creative uh, uh design department uh, at UC San Diego, but he's also a writer. Jordan, welcome. Congratulations on the new book. Thank Sounds you. very exciting. Uh, I want to get on this uh, on this highway, this literary odyssey at a time when a new form of super intelligence has emerged. Tell me a little bit more about the book, Jordan. Well, it takes the form of a novel and it's somewhat like a series of interlinked stories. And they're kind of vignettes that take place of various sites around a fictional city, something like Los Angeles. And it kind of moves from the west side to the east side of town. And there are a variety of different kinds of characters that pop up and lots of different situations that are really situations that you might find in everyday life. So the emergence of an AI in this situation is one that infiltrates the everyday and subtly changes how people speak, behave, see the world, understand themselves, navigate, socialize, fantasize, all those kinds of things. Jordan, as you know, you're... Southern California type. We, we snobs up here in Northern California, we look down on you metaphorically and literally uh, in Southern California. And I wonder um, from up here, um, this language sounds interesting, but also rather pretentious. It, it could be something that a, a machine invents. Convince me that you're not a machine. What's human about you? 
Oh, that's a good question. Well, I don't know. I think the boundaries between human and machine aren't so easy to sort out. So I think we have a lot of machinic aspects of ourselves. So you're acknowledging that you are a machine? I think so. I think um, the idea of a cyborg, as Donna Haraway might have defined it, as a kind of part human, part machine, integrated into systems that kind of extend our facilities into the world and reshape our, our, um, our ways of seeing, our imaginaries. So I kind of see as pretty much that we have these machine aspects of ourselves already. So you are a, a computer. You're also a visual artist. You had a, a prize-winning show, Drive. Uh, you've done a lot of uh, shows around the world, prize-winning shows. What are you trying to do in your art, Jordan? What are you challenging your viewer, your reader, your listener with? Because you're a multimedia artist. Yeah, yeah. Um, I you know work in the form of um, video installations, you know, making films, doing performances, writing media theory, and now writing fiction. And so there are all different kinds of ways of getting at something. And what that is, I'm getting at, I think, is a way of understanding who we are and kind of what's happening to us in a broad sense, kind of a, a way of understanding ourselves, our identities, our place in the world in a more contemporary way. I know that sounds very broad, but it's, I would say it's not entirely so specific what I'm trying to do. I think also at the very basis, activate the imagination to be able to free us up to think differently to kind of get out of our habitual way of seeing the world and open up into other ways of seeing and being in the world. That probably sounds very broad too. It sounds broad. It's hard to get <laughs> one's hands around it. Um, are there artists, writers, uh, traditional artists that you're trying to emulate that whose work you're, you're building on? Many, many writers have written about superintelligence, uh, many science fiction writers in particular. There was an interesting piece, for example, in the Financial Times this morning, an interview with Ted Chang, whose work I think is very good. His book Arrival is a particularly strong book. What corpus, what tradition are you building on in your work, Autodrive? Yeah, I think um, it building on a tradition of science fiction and speculative fiction people like Ted Chiang and also um, Don DeLillo. Um, um, J.G. Ballard. Um, people are using scientific developments in a way to uh, kind of um, look at like a, the, their effect on society and subjectivity in a way that's also very accessible through stories. So they're storytellers, um, but the, the scenarios they envision are informed by scientific developments and current technology. And they often kind of, from that basis and a kind of research, open up into narratives that 
have a power to captivate imagination more than straightforward research would. So. You mentioned Ballard and Delilo, both uh, both great writers, writers uh, certainly I admire. What's interesting about both of them, particularly Delilo, is they seem to have imagined reality before it happened. So <laughs> I keep on referring back, I've done it several conversations, to Delilo's white noise in which one of the central uh, stories in the book was this train crash, uh, this environment, this train crash that resulted in an environmental crisis in a small town, uh, which was very mysterious and apocalyptic and absurd all at the same time. And of course, we just had that in Ohio a few months ago. Some of Ballard's work also seems eerily predictive. Are you in your writing trying to imagine the future before it happens? Or are you seeing, particularly in Los Angeles and Southern California, the future of the world concretely before it spreads elsewhere? I think I'm foreseeing something. Because, for example, the kind of way that our artificial agents are kind of becoming social actors and that we are relating to them in new ways. So I'm kind of, I think, foreseeing a landscape where we become much more immersed in a world of all different kinds of actors. And that- What does um, that mean, immersed in, in different, you mean human actors, well, machine actors? Both. So that when cars, for example, become very much alive, we talk to them, they become part of our bodies. They, well, you all, and, it, it, um, Jordan, everyone talks to their cars in Los yes, Angeles. Yeah. You know I mean? yeah. and, the, and the cars talk back. Yes. And also to artificial agents like Siri and Alexa, um, devices in the home, different ways that one can access technology through discourse, through communications, verbal communications. So I think of a world where that happens a lot and where we have pop populated in the world a lot of a lot of different types of actors that play a social role and, and, and as you say those, some of those actors are machines i mean you mentioned siri and alexa they're both now rather old-fashioned almost archaic i'm not sure how how much longer each of those have they're bound to be upgraded to chat gpt uh, applications are you um have you had much experience with chat gpt have you been using it did it scare you? Did it thrill you? Did it confirm what you already thought? I actually used it a bit in writing this novel. And it was interesting to experiment with. And I didn't find that much of material that came out very usable. But I found that at certain times when I would reach a standstill, that I could... It opened up some new lines of development. And there were some very clever phrases that came out of it. So here and there, I, I did get a phrase that was useful. And it did challenge me a little bit to think differently in certain moments. Well, could, could you give me an example of one of those phrases? Yeah. Um, there was a moment when I was thinking about a high, uh, what a highway is and its relationship to place. And it came up with a very poetic statement uh, about a boundless superhighway, a highway that leads nowhere, a highway in which places disappear. 
something like that. And it was very poetic the way it phrased it. And I ended up using it, that phrase. So there are a number of things in there that came up that they were small things, but I think just had a, the right turn of phrase and the right rhythm. And of course, it's not like it's so much um, deep or insightful content, but that moment when it's when it takes you by surprise because it kind of uh, challenges your way of thinking a little bit and opens up something new. Do you think, uh, Jordan, that the technology you're writing about, does it undermine the very idea of authorial depth? You know, the old bourgeois notion of, of, of writing deeply about the human condition or the condition of the universe. Is this going to pen us in a bit? Is this going to confirm some of the critics of modernism that suggested that uh, the world is not quite as complex as some people think? Hmm. I don't know. I think maybe, if anything, it might be suggesting that the world is more complex. But I don't know. I mean, I think it depends on how we use it, really. What do you mean? It depends how we use it. I feel like I'm an analyst. You're on the couch. You're 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 com you're confessing stuff to me about machines. Okay. Well. Well, tell me the question again. What you mean, really? Do you think it's going to? Would it be replacing authoritative voices? Well, yeah. The, the of idea of new that. Voice I mean, of authority in yeah, some I, I mean, the kind of work you do seems as a as a postmodern artist, maybe that's not a term you're very keen on, seems to suggest that through your visual work and through your written work, you can reveal truths, complexities that we wouldn't normally see. But I wonder whether machines might actually prohibit that. Prohibit revealing complexities that we because might Because they, they don't no longer exist. If anything, our lives, our views are going to become simpler and simpler, more and more mundane. Hmm. All complex stuff will happen in machines. But um, I, I was also going to ask you about uh, our relationship with machines. You talked about talking or interacting with a machine to come up with some new phrases. I did a show with Stephen Marsh a couple of weeks ago, uh, a Canadian writer who has written a book with AI, with the help of AI, mm -hmm. a detective book, uh, a crime book. And he argues that they can become enormously helpful to writers. You've already revealed that ChatGPT was helpful to you. What does that mean, Jordan, in terms of our relationship with this smart intelligence, what you call super intelligence? Does it make us more or less reliant on it? And, and, and how will that reveal or change the nature of our relationships with machines? Will yeah, they make them more human or less human? Yeah, I think that as we become more reliant on them, become integrated with our own thought process, our own way of thinking, so that we don't always necessarily know where the idea came from that we had. So I see it as actually an extension of our thinking on the one side and also a way of 
influencing our thinking from the outside. So kind of going both directions, but in the sense that actually we, the way we think about things, the way we talk about things changes in a way that seems really natural to us because we don't understand how it's been influenced. But it's really very much as a result of the systems that we're engaged with, these systems of meaning and communication that we're engaged with influence our thought patterns, influence the way we think, the way we understand ourselves. But we don't necessarily realize that because it happens so subtly. And that's what interests me in I mostly when when we think of artificial agents or intelligent systems that we relate to them and they influence us they become part of us and the boundaries between us and them become more porous and hard to determine have you read uh, ishiguro's book clara and the sun i've not read that book because that's pretty interesting in the way in which those borders, as you suggest, are broken down and it's harder and harder to know what's human and what's a machine. Do you think it's a, an appropriate question for writers, philosophers who are thinking about our new superintelligent age to present our challenge as hanging on to our humanity, that the great confrontation is between humans and machines, or are you suggesting that machines are already human and humans are already machines? So it's uh, an oversimplistic uh, way of thinking about it. Yeah, I mean, I think that that maybe antagonism or antagonist relationship between humans and machines, I think it's it actually is one that is in, is actually really easy to dramatize and make into the stuff of a lot of stories and films that um, where technology poses a kind of threat to something that is uniquely human about us. And there's a lot of dramatic potential in that. And certainly for, um, for stories and films make use of it. But I think that it's really much more nuanced, much more subtle than that. And so in, in, in trying to grasp that subtlety, it becomes less and less dramatically interesting. So the challenge is actually to try to make that interesting. And I think that's one of the, one of the big challenges is in the book, in writing the book, is that in fact, it's not this kind of big dramatic clash between humans and the rise of artificial intelligence as this thing that suddenly is introduced into the world and challenges us directly, challenges us as central primary actors, in a sense, kind of threatens our primacy in the driver's seat. It actually is that driving okay. again. That's your that's your <laughs> Los Angeles bias. Yes, and the, and, the, and the kind of metaphor of the is it self-driving? I mean, the, the book is yes, of course called yes. Auto Drive. It's actually in a future when cars are fully automated. And basically, humans don't really have a lot to do. And so there's a lot of um, ways of, of, of um, dealing with uh, infiltrations of the machine and kind of understanding the machine's role that uh, is already very much integrated in the world. 
Jordan, one of the most memorable conversations I had about AI was a couple of years ago with my old friend Jeanette Winterton, another brilliant writer, not a science fiction writer, but uh, whose latest book is on AI. She's also a woman brought up in a strongly religious tradition, and I think her her literary career and much of her life has been this odd struggle between uh, thinking for herself, if you like, and thinking her way out of her religious background. And with, with AI, she seems to have found her way back in. In your view, in this age of superintelligence, is this going to, as Jeanette seems to suggest, is it going to make us, in a sense, more religious or at least more spiritual? That's a good question. I mean, I think there's lots of scenarios where people see this superintelligence assuming a role of a kind of godlike entity that is, you know, uh, so much larger than we are and knows so much more than we do that it begins to assume a kind of godlike power in some way. I don't know that that will happen. I don't necessarily foresee that happening, but I think that there is a way in which and, it, uh, and I'm, I'm speaking of an artificial superintelligence, which is actually begins to exceed the abilities of humans, becomes um, something that really challenges our place in the world and challenges a lot of the ideologies we've had, uh, religious certainly, that we're somehow special. I think that it really um, will cause us to kind of question our place in the world and what is meaningful and where, what is the purpose of life? And some of the bigger questions, I think definitely it will cause us to, to think about those things differently. And religion is definitely tied in, in there. The kinds of knowledge structures that give meaning to our place in the world, how we understand ourselves and our purpose. All of that's really going to change, I think, profoundly. Do you dream of electric sheep, Jordan? <laughs> I, yeah, I'm, I don't necessarily dream of androids, full, uh, fully machine, fully artificial figures who, who, who walk alongside us in the world that uh, I see us, us us taking on new machining aspects of, of our, of um, we incorporate into ourselves through the use of, of headsets, um, aids. Oh, do, do you think uh, a key thing that, um, uh, Keith Tier, my friend in Silicon Valley, prominent investor and entrepreneur, seems to think that the Apple headset's going to be a bust. Do you agree? Or are we about to a uh, to enter a with not just with AI, but with these new products from Apple and Facebook? Is virtual reality about to become, so to speak, real? Yeah, I actually don't know if that headset is going to be full virtual reality or whether it will generate a mixed reality environment where you have some aspects of the virtual and some aspects of the real. 
we have aspects of the virtual overlaid onto the world. And I find that much more interesting when we have some mixed reality environment where we are able to call up data and have projections that um, overlay in, in our field of vision that are responding to the world and integrated to the world. So that we still operate in the world. Um, it's just it, our vision is enhanced. Our thinking is enhanced. We'll be able to call up things, call up um, um, overlays that help us navigate the world and, and such, rather than a kind of fully virtual headset that closes us off and fully immerses us into some other kind of wholly artificial space. So I hope it's actually more mixed because I think that's much more interesting. Uh, you describe yourself as a media artist and performer. Um, and as I said, you've been, you do video installations all around the world. I wonder whether you're concerned that uh, this chat GPT, this generative uh, AI technology is going to make you redundant. <laughs> Sometimes you go to these exhibits and they appear as if a machine has created them. Clearly there are humans behind them. What do you think that an artist like you can contribute that smart machines won't be able to? Or perhaps will you, like everybody else, have nothing to do in our age of super intelligence? Yeah, I think there's like two things. One, and as an artist, you know, that the ability to make art with these new tools will become much easier. There's a very interesting film that was just shown on, or that was just um, featured on the New Yorker, I think it was, it was a film that was generated entirely through AI, generative AI tools. And it was actually really interesting, a very short film. It was very clunky and um, figures, human figures are not depicted so realistically. Uh, it doesn't do faces so well or hands so well, but those limitations actually make something really interesting. And you can glimpse the potential for, for all manner of creative work coming into play from films, uh, photographs, um, certainly uh, writings, um, all kinds of things, uh, working with images, um, that um, are really challenging what it means to be an artist and opening up the possibility of art making to a much broader public. So, so for us artists, it actually is really challenging and really interesting in a way. What do you mean opening up the idea of art making to a broader public? You don't believe that uh, anyone can do your kind of sophisticated art, do you, Jordan? Well, they could inform anyone would be able to make videos. This, this short film I was talking about was made by, as I call it, not, not an, an artist per se. So that actually anybody on a, on, with these tools on a desktop can work with images and generate some amazing stuff. Can right, good or bad. I mean, does that make you worried? Are you going to lose your job? Who's going to show your, um, who, who's going to show your exhibits? Well, that's a good question. It doesn't really worry me, but it, it certainly makes it much more person, interesting. You don't seem you know, the kind of person who's worried by very much. Do you? <laughs> and the other thing, other thing you mentioned was was as was teaching, in working with students in a classroom where their where their faculty, as we know it, as instructors would be replaced by AI, and that's an interesting question too. 
there was an article about some of the professions that might be the first to be endangered and being taken over. And one of those was teaching. And so perhaps the way we teach and, and uh, our, our jobs as such will, will change. And so what will you do, um, Jordan? You said if, if, if you're made, so to speak, redundant, if all your skills can be replicated by a machine, how will you spend your day? I don't know that it would really happen because I think part of it. Well, if it about did, being... I mean, let's say it did. What, what would you do? <laughs> I'll probably be retired. Santa Monica. I'll probably be pretty old at that time. <laughs> well, what would you but like to do? I, I would like to continue making art because I, I think that's just what I do, and I would think I will always find a way to do that. And one of the things that's really interesting about doing that is that you're always kind of kept on your toes. That you kind of always take what you're given and make something of it. So I think that I will continue to make something of it. I don't see it actually being something that would replace me, but something that would challenge me to do different things or more interesting things. So finally, and I think I've asked this before, I'm not sure if you answered it, Jordan, um, what worries you? I mean, what, what, what are you most nervous about this new age? You've given a lot of thought to it as a visual artist, as a professor, as a writer, about our new age of superintelligence. What scares you? What keeps you up at night? I think the spread of misinformation most. I think that the spread of, of fake media, of um, um, videos, um, articles, uh, sound uh, work that actually purports to represent something real, but which is totally artificial. And I uh, worry about the flood of, of, of uh, false information or disinformation that is becomes so great that we no longer are able to discern what's real and what's not. And I think that would be something that really rips apart the fabric of society that uh, our ability to have some kind of common world that we can all agree on that exists, that performs a kind of you know basis for our understanding and our ways of, of, of dealing with each other. So I, I kind of really worry about that being something that would really destroy that and fracture societies to such an extent that democracy would democracies would fail and the very fabric of social relationships would fail. Civil society, as 